It's been one year, two months, and 15 days since I last saw my friends Matt Storty and Cesar Gallego of ButcherBox Cycling. It's been a little bit longer since I've seen my friends Emma Bast of Levine Law Group and Davy Dawson, now of Automatic Racing. But this weekend, I saw them. Along with my friends from Bike Doctor Racing here in Washington, D.C., or my friends from Total Civil Construction, like Matt McClune and Sean Barry and Steve Robinson, my own teammates, DJ Brew and company. I even got to see new friends, friends that I've made since the last time I saw other friends, folks like Cormac Daly and Michael Tan and Neil Black and Earl and Garcia from Good Guys Racing. I got to see them this weekend for the first time in forever because I raced my bike. I went to a crit. There was a race that could be had, and I went and I did it. It was a local race, I guess, if you can call Philadelphia local to Washington, D.C. It was a local race. Went there. It was a great combination of people from Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New York, the Marlboro area, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, etc. It was everybody who could get there to a race called Pickle Juice in Royersford, Pennsylvania. Super simple race around a high school, a way more deceivingly challenging course than it looks like on first blush. But a lot of it was probably due to the fact that most of us were nervous and many of us hadn't turned a bike in, I don't know, one year, two months, and 15 days. And so it, it, everything became harder. But I still got to see my friends. I still got to race my bike and it means so much to me that they were there with me, that I got to hang out. Real quick results, the men's race was won by Clever Martinez of Rocklands from New York City. Awesome name, by the way. In second place was Alex Driscoll of Otterhouse. And in third place was Matt McClune of Total Civil Construction. On the women's side, Colleen Gullick from Pickle Juice, the promoter of the race. She wins her own race. I thought there were rules against that sort of thing. Like, I don't know, because she's working her butt off all day long and does great in the race. In third place was Laura Van Gelder of Mellow Mushroom. And in second place was Allie Marugal. I'm sorry, Allie, totally butchered your name. Rocking the Velocio yellow jersey and, and black bibs. Classic, simple look. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. So, Travis McCabe, your reigning professional Criterium champ, moves to Orlando, Florida, and sets up shop there. He's got a beautiful backyard. It is picturesque Florida, and he joins us from his backyard. Crickets, lizards, cat hunting lizards, all of it is there in this interview. There is so much great jam-packed stuff that I don't want to belabor any points other than to say, you got to listen to the whole thing. It gets better and better and better as you go through. If you want crit beef, it's in there. If you want insight into the mind of one of the best athletes in the United States, it's in there. If you want to make sure you understand what's about to happen at Tulsa, Pro Crit Champs, the value of Danny Estevez, all of the names of the guys who are on the Best Buddies team and why the team represents the people who run Best Buddies, the organization, and it represents the excellence that everybody's striving for, it's in there too. 
excellence. Speaking of it, the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, wideanglepodium.com is your source for all the shows on the network. We've got the Grodio, Nowhere Fast, Slow Ride Podcast, and we've got this little show called Cyclocross Radio, which is not just about cyclocross anymore. It also happens to be about mountain bike racing and occasionally classics riding, and then coming up with really neat nicknames for riders like Tom, Picante, Pitters, Pitcock. Love it, don't try to say that one fast, unless you're Michael Bodekheimer and you've got that level of talent. Please consider becoming a member of the Wide Angle Podium and financially supporting this show, Cyclocross Radio, all of them, any of them, one of them, two of them. It doesn't matter to me. It just matters that you're supporting me and the other people out there who are creating content for you to provide you with education and entertainment here at the dawn of the new racing era. This show brought to you by Source Endurance, source-e.net. Go there, take a look at all of this stuff that they've got to offer, including nutrition and coaching and so much more newsletters that break down races and all of it. It's good stuff. Source-e.net is your place to find them on the interwebs. When you find what you want, use Criterium Nation, all one word, at checkout for $50 off your first month. We've got a message right here from Alex Hohen from Wildlife Pro. Yes, that Alex Hohen, about why you should join him, myself, and so many others with Source Endurance. After that, we're going to get right into it with the 2019 Pro Criterium Champion, Travis McCabe. Hi, this is Alex Hohen. I'm the 2018 U23 National Road Race Champion, and I currently race for Wildlife Generation Pro Cycling. I've been working with Source Endurance for about four years now, and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Uh, Adam Mills came up to me about four years ago or so and saw my numbers and wanted to start working with me, and I moved to Elevate KHS for my first year as a pro, and Adam and I have been doing good things ever since, and there's more to come. My name is Travis McCabe. I'm from Prescott, Arizona, born and raised. I'm proud of it. And I race for two separate entities. I race for Best Buddies Racing, which is a nonprofit that focuses on bringing inclusion for people with individual development disabilities. And then I also race for Felt Bicycles and have my own sponsorships. So I'm split between my own privateering uh, racing avenue and then also the Best Buddies career racing team. One of the things that we know is that you are the current, the reigning professional criterium champion. You won that 2019 in Knoxville. At the time, I believe you were riding with Floyd's Cycling, the UCI Conti team. Yes, sir. I know it's your second net pro crit national championship. You won in 2017 on UHC. What does it mean to you to be the pro crit champion? So, I mean, it's pretty, there, there's some significance to it. I wouldn't say it's what I like identify as. I mean, I want to win and I've always dreamt of winning the pro road national championships. So that was like my goal. Uh, winning the pro crit championships was like icing on the cake. Um, it was something that I've always like kind of strived for to do, but 
it wasn't like a big priority to be honest. Like, I mean, I've loved crits and I've loved racing them, but it hasn't been something that I've been like a goal of mine. I mean, it, it was a goal, but it was like a secondary goal. Every year it was kind of like, this is something that I'd like to win. I'd like to be a national champion, but the focus is on the road national championships. Ever since 2014, when uh, Eric and I went one, two, it was one of those things where like, I've, I've always wanted to win the pro road national championships, which is honestly what most American pros dream of is winning the pro road. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that most American pros focus on winning the road race rather than winning the criterium? I still feel like the crit comes kind of secondary. I think the road race is something that's very prestigious. That's a jersey you can wear at every race because the focus is on road. So I can have the stars and stripes on every race. And that's like a huge deal. And that's one of the things where it's, I think, um, just growing up racing, like starting in 2010, when I first found cycling is that like the road is where cycling is. That's, that's the road scene. And that's something like, you know, you watch cutters and you watch, or sorry, breaking away and you watch, um, the tour de France and you watch like a Sunday in hell and all these road races. It's all the road races that matter. Uh, the crit is something that's very American. And honestly, I didn't really know much about crit racing until I first started riding. Honestly, I didn't know much about cycling at all until I started working at a bike shop, but I think the reason why that's so important is because that's a jersey that you get to wear at every single race. And you do typically way more road races than you do criteriums. So that's like, that's the pride of it. And I think, you know, Alex and Keel and I, uh, we've all kind of, and so many other guys, it's something that we've always have like dreamt of. You know, we spend so much time just riding on the road by ourselves and we end up daydreaming and we, imagine every single like scenario and how we can win it and what we could do or what we did wrong the previous year to win it or lose it. It's just, there's a prestige to it that doesn't match any of the other titles, to be honest. And I think, I think you see that with a lot of it. I mean, a lot of guys, you know, even the time trial national championships don't have the same prestige as the road. The road is something that's very, uh, top of the pedestal. What do you think we can do to make it so that your crit stars and stripes is equal to the road stars and stripes of, of Alex Howes and company? The, you know, is there a way that we can elevate our game in criterium racing so that Friday night criterium for national championships is not sufficient? It needs to be billed on Saturday night sort of thing. Yeah, I don't, honestly, I don't know. I don't know if you really can eat that. I mean, I think cycling is predominantly a road sport. It's something that, you know, I like Myerson talked about it and he, he's a big crit racer and wanted to really like push the crit scene. And I think, I think you can make it bigger for sure, but I think the road is still, um, the penultimate level of, of the sport, to be honest. I think, some ways that you can make it bigger is by, by like showcasing the talent. A lot of road racers don't want to do the crit because they're not sprinters. And so they, you know, it's, it's this mix between a sprinter who can win it, like especially a road sprinter and like a crit sprinter going against everyone else. Whereas the road, there's so many different variables. It's so long that anyone can win it. And we've seen that so many times, like 
you know, Eric Marcotte, you know, one of my like best friends and a big brother, he's won pro road national championships. And then the next year went back and won pro crit national championships. And that's, I don't think that's ever really been done before. So I, I think the only way that they can really like make the criterium as big, I think in the U S is by boosting up criterium racing. And I think that's happening now because there aren't a lot of road races. I think we found that with road racing, it's very difficult to put on the events. It costs more money, more insurance. It's harder to get permits every year. So I think really the only thing you could do is maybe have more uh, like televised races, kind of do what like Red Hook did. If you can make it more of like a niche thing and really boost it up and get people who maybe aren't so into the sport of road cycling, but are into like alternative racing, kind of like gravel and fixed gear racing, the alley cat stuff, then maybe it can get bigger and get more traction, but it's hard to do for sure. It's not a, not an easy task. Well, let's talk about 2019 and about that win in Knoxville. 2019, an incredible year for you leading up to the crit championships. I mean, you, you won a stage at the Tucson bike classic tour of the Gila. You were on the podium twice in that race. You won, uh, the, the two stages of Cascades, which is insane. You also won the overall at Cascades. These are just the American races that you were doing that year. You also had sprint jersey in Malaysia. Won the points jersey for Tour of Langwai. I can never pronounce that one correctly. Tour of Langkawi. Langkawi, thank you. And then you win nationals. Can you walk us through kind of like the last, I don't know, five minutes or so of that crit of how you ended up getting there to the finishing line first against what is a stacked field. I mean, the whole race, like, again, the priority was pro road national championship. So we just came back from racing uh, up in Canada. We did tour Saguenay or Saguenay. And then I was supposed to do tour boast, but I had gotten sick. I, I told the team just to fly me straight to Knoxville so I could start to get used to the humidity because Honestly, dude, the humidity is brutal and, uh, it's pretty hard to adapt to that. So I went to Knoxville, was staying at a friend's house and was training there, got healthy, felt pretty confident about the racing. I felt good. Legs were great. The whole race was, you know, rally had, I don't know, a thousand riders on the team. They had their full squad though. They wanted to win for Colin Joyce or Ty Magner. And we only had two riders. It was me and Noah Granigan. It's not the most technical course or the most like physically demanding course, which for me does better. The more people are tired, the better I usually am in the sprint. But we raced really aggressively. We were kind of on the forefront the whole time. And the previous year, I think I was fourth i ended up getting put into the barriers with like 150 meters to go by john murphy and couldn't contest the sprint so i knew that the sprint really started before the like last one two three corners so you know i told noah on the last lap and before i was like i need you to sprint on the false flat coming into the right hand curve before we get into the buildings and then sprint down town. I was just waiting on him. We were right behind Rally's train. They had like 10 guys left. You know, they didn't really have the speed fast enough to where we couldn't come around. 
And I think they just had too many riders and were going too slow, to be honest. One of those tricks is being able to go fast and not having someone pass you. We're coming into the false flat and I just yell at Noah. I'm like, go, we make it over the bridge. And I'm just like, go, 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 go. And so he sprints on the far left side and just goes as hard as he can to that right-hand corner. And he maybe made it about 50 meters before I needed to open up. We made it all the way past the rally train. And then I just sprinted into that corner. Because once you go into those corners, you can have a little bit of recovery by coasting. Just, you know, it's a, a split second, but that's also a breath. So I sprint into that right-hand corner. Ty Magner follows me. Miguel follows me as well. Miguel Bryan and same with uh, Eric Young is like the four of us are all kind of right there. And I feel like we kind of caught everyone a little bit off guard. We knew where to go and we went and we were able to sprint before rally was able to go. So Ty had to slot in behind me. So I had the pole position coming into those three corners, took the first corner hard. Ty was, if you watch the video, Ty is actually on my inside. Typically the inside line is usually the best line, but I just, said, you know, screw it. I went on the outside of him and then cut through and just held the outside line. And I think he was thinking that it's still too soon. So he slotted in behind me. He let me go in front and we had a quick, like 50 meters before you turn left. And then it's this little punchy hill up to the main street on Knoxville. And then you turn left and it's like a 200 meter drag. It may be 50 meters flat and then 150 meters downhill. My forte is like false flats, hard races where people are a little tired. I don't have like the highest power kick, but I just kicked as hard as I could up that hill. And I got a little bit of a gap because I took the corner so hard. And I opened up a little gap, kicked it as hard as I could, turned left. And uh, I looked back and I saw I had maybe like five meters, 10 meters on tie and Eric and Miguel. And then from there on, it was just kind of like head down and hold the sprint as long as you can, because I knew they were sprinting just as much as me trying to stay on top of me. And uh, I was able to kind of hold it all the way to the line. So it's interesting because it wasn't really like your typical out of the corner, 150 meter sprint. It was like a 300 meter sprint, which was a, more of a drag, but you had those few little times to recover in the corners. And then it was like full gas to the line. So honestly, it was like a lot of Noah Granigan just listening and timing the lead out perfectly and me just committing to a, a bit of a kamikaze attack and hoping that it would stick. Two follow-ups there. When do we start feeling bad for poor Eric Young? I don't feel bad for Eric at all. Three years in a row, finishing second. Dude, he's won it twice, though. Eric is like the best crew racer in the U.S. by far. I think he's the smartest racer. He's the strongest. I love him. He's a great friend. I don't feel bad for him at all. And I don't think he would feel bad for losing or winning, beating me at all either. You know, it's one of those things where we're, we're both competitors. The second follow-up to that is, is Noah Granigan somebody that is not even a dark horse, but is a legit candidate for winning nationals this year. I think he can. Yeah. He just won a race out in um, somewhere in Colorado. He's strong. He's lean. He's like very determined. He's extremely smart and he has the potential. His grandfather was like badass bike racer and pretty famous. I think Noah has a really good chance of actually being uh, a contender in that race for sure. Let's talk about you now here in, in 2021, 
Pro Cycling Stats lists you as retired as of December 31st. Uh, I, I don't, uh, if, if I'm to believe your results here on road results, you're definitely not retired. I mean, you are no longer racing for Israel Startup Nation. And I've got like a thousand questions that I'd love to ask you about Israel Startup Nation, but we just don't have time for that because there's so many other things to talk about. Did that experience of going to the world tour doing even even in the i don't know weird way that it was run in 2020 with the contract with Israel Startup Nation was that what you had hoped it would be or did you hope that something else would have happened for your career no it definitely wasn't what i hoped it would be i don't think it was at all what i was hoping for i mean it's been a dream of mine to race the world tour ever since i started racing you know racing Roubaix, the classics that was always a big thing doing a grand tour was something that i spent so much time thinking about and daydreaming when i first started the sport yeah it was it was definitely um disappointment and i felt i felt like a bit of a failure it wasn't how i wanted it to go at all and it's not really anyone's fault it's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. I think I had the potential, but the thing with racing in the world tour is like every single one of those guys is so good. Like all the American racers that we have over there are the best American racers that we have in the sport. And very rarely do we even see them getting results. You know, I think Nielsen's third at the tour last year was huge. Alex is like such a talented athlete and yet, you know, he struggles. Same with Keel. Keel's like phenomenal. You know, there's so many guys that you don't even hear about anymore that you think maybe are gone. Joe just won a stage at the Giro and like, I forgot about, I forgot Joe Dombrowski was racing. Same with Chad Haga, same with a few other guys that you just kind of, you, you lose like interest in them because they're not winning every day and they're not in the news. But like, Every single one of those guys will tell you the racing is so hard over there and it's such a higher level than what we experience in the U.S. that it's not luck that makes it over there. Um, and I think I was prepared for it and I trained super hard. Uh, unfortunately for me, it was, I think COVID played a huge role in, in what happened and financially the team didn't have a lot of money, especially after signing Froome. I think as soon as they signed for him, I knew like it was pretty unlikely that I was going to get re-signed. There are a lot going on in my personal life too. You know, meeting Tori, falling in love, wanting to find someone that I finally wanted to, you know, settle down with and having all this time in COVID times to where I was back home and training, but also having this time that you, you never have. Like if you ask anyone, no one's had this much time with their significant other. And I just really enjoyed it and loved it. And I didn't want to go back and race like on a pro con team or a continental team at 32 and try to uh, continue to make it and hope for the best and leave the life that I have in the U S like, it's very hard for Americans because a lot of the great, the great guys, the riders bring their whole family over and they live in Europe full time. I can't do that. My my girlfriend's a ER doctor and she has a responsibility here and she spent the last seven years, eight years of her life working towards this goal. And so I didn't, I knew we, we both talked about it. We knew like 
if I went back over there and spent a full year over there, which is what you kind of have to do now, you have to be there year round, that it probably wouldn't work out relationship wise. And then also with Israel, you know, they knew they, they talked to me and were like, you know, if you could find an individual sponsor who can have you on, then maybe we can keep you. But right now we don't have the money to do it. And I understood. I understood that the, the, the priority shifted. It just kind of is what it is. So it's definitely, it's not what I expected. The fun that you have in the U.S. racing isn't there as much. The camaraderie and the, the relationships you build isn't the same. And so it's much more of a job and much more of like a responsibility. And for me, I've always like loved the sport because I have so much fun doing it. And I kind of, I lost that when I was over racing in the world tour. And then on top of not getting re-signed or having the opportunity to resign, I was like, okay, maybe this is time to transition into something else. That hasn't really happened as much as I like, expected it to, but I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, felt has given me an opportunity at best buddies has given me an opportunity to continue to ride bikes and still do what I love and be able to do that over in the U S Let's talk about Best Buddies. It's a new team to me. The organization behind it, Best Buddies, is obviously an organization and a charity that a lot of people are familiar with, and and you've laid out kind of their mission there. The team, however, spearheaded by Richard Fries, has you, Eric Marcotte, Michael Hernandez, uh, Danny Estevez, which we have to talk about him in a few seconds. Ruben. Ruben's on the team, the new Florida State criterium champion and tt champion from this uh, from last weekend so you know like and ben wolf don't forget about ben wolf i can't forget about everybody i mean like (laughs) this podcast is just going to be a list of the awesome guys on your team how does this team come together and and create just almost out of nowhere yeah i mean i think you know hernandez has a lot of uh responsibility for that. I moved to Orlando. It was first off a place that I never, ever thought I was going to move to. I never thought I'd live in Florida period. Like coming from Arizona, the West coast, everyone talks so much shit about Florida, and Florida man. And, you know, it wasn't something that I ever thought I was like, ah, dude, Florida, why would I live there? And, uh, I'm glad that I made the move. And I think a lot of it has to do with cycling and not being afraid to explore and get out of your comfort zone. But uh, I moved to Orlando, Michael was here, and he was in the same position as I was. He aged out of Avolo's E23 program, and he didn't know what he was doing. And he started doing some best buddy rides down in Miami. Met Anthony Shriver, who's the CEO of the Best Buddies organization. Anthony's an awesome guy and a very driven individual who all, who's like a, he's a cycling advocate. He's a health advocate. and so. He met Anthony. They talked about, you know, how they can grow the Best Buddies organization and spread the mission statement. And one idea that came up was creating a race team. I think most nonprofits, everything has changed. The marketing has changed in the past five years and it's evolved into this new realm that no one really knows where to go. And you can essentially go anywhere from it. So Anthony and Michael decided, let's create this crit team. Let's create a road team to spread the awareness and bring inclusivity 
to the public and have them involved with best buddies and get to understand what it is and what their mission statement is. And so Michael came to me, you know, I was like, dude, where the hell do I ride out in Orlando? This place is flat. I don't want to go through Disney world or downtown. And he was like, dude, come out on a ride. I'd spent like four months not riding at all. I was pretty like depressed with just the way everything turned out. And again, like I said, I kind of felt like this, this failure, uh, not being able to reach the goals or the apex of the sport. Like I had dreamt of and Michael brought me out on a ride and he was like, dude, we're starting a crit team. Do you have any like interest in it? And so I was like, well, who's it for? What's the idea behind it? Where are we going with it? And he, he told me about the whole best buddies project kind of struck like a chord in my heart because my mom was a special education or, um, yeah, she was a special education teacher for 15 years in Arizona and then worked, uh, with special Olympics for a really long time. And so when he told me that Shriver's mom started the special Olympics, it was one of those things where I was like, Oh, maybe I can like do something that's bigger than the sport. I can be involved in something that's not just about me, but actually about raising awareness and bringing inclusivity and helping other people who need that help, especially with everything that's been going on. And so I was like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Like I'll join on. And this was maybe in November, December. It was pretty late. And he was like, you know, we want to have a crit team to race all the crits. And I was like, dude, I love crits. You know, it's kind of where it started from. And so I was in and he was like, well, do you know anyone else? And I was like, Oh yeah, I might know a few people. Like, so I like, I texted Eric Marcotte right away. I was like, dude, what are you doing? Let's do this. And he was like, hell yeah, man, this is great cause. Let's get involved. Cause he's the same way. He wants to promote health and awareness and be something, be bigger than what it was. And, uh, Michael mentioned Ben. I'd never raced with Ben, but I, like, I love him. I knew he was a great guy. And so we kind of just like started texting all of our friends. I was like, Hey dude, what are you doing? Like you racing next year. Do you want to stay involved? Do you want to do something that's bigger than, um, a race for someone that's bigger than you? You know, Ben said, yes, he was on board. You'll see the the list. And it's funny that Justin mentioned how we're all kind of like has been, but we've all been pro racers and we all love cycling and we all want to keep racing, but we didn't want to just race for a jelly belly or, you know, a smart stop or hink happy or a team that's just doesn't really have like a purpose behind it or a mission. And so when best buddies came on board, it was like, this is actually bigger than what we are. It clicked, you know, I got Eric on board. We got Michael got Ben on board and then Ruben's in Miami. So we were like hassling Ruben. We're like, come on, dude, come on, do this. Like, you get back into it, but you don't have to race as much or train as hard as we have to do with the road scene. He got on board as well. So it just kind of like it grew into this like hit squad that we didn't really expect, but it happened like quickly. It happened within a few months. And, you know, we had a team camp and everyone was super excited and got along and we're just pumped to like still race, but not be um, as involved as we were when we were full on road bike racers, because we all have, you know, other things going on in our lives now. I'm going to drop a little local geography, you know, Prescott, Arizona, central Arizona, uh, just south of Sedona. You've got Mount Mingus there in Prescott. I've ridden it. It's awesome. Had a lot of fun. One of my favorite rides. I mean, Mingus is a little bit more daunting than uh, Orlando's very own Sugarloaf. 
Yeah. But, you know, Orlando has a lot to offer for a bike racer. That's why there's a lot of people who go down to Claremont or Kissimmee and and do their riding camps down there. You know, Gutenplan's not that far away in Tampa. I'm sure he'll come over and visit you every once in a while. But I wanted to go back to this thing that you've said the word failure twice. And I, I want to know if you really think that your time at Israel Startup Nation or your time in the, the UCI, you know, contract world, did that qualify as a failure or did it just qualify as you got screwed by circumstances? You know, COVID cuts a lot of people's budgets and not a lot of opportunity for you to present yourself. I mean, you went toe to toe with Peter Sagan. You know, you went toe to toe with one of the best sprinters in the world and came up just a wee bit short. You know, like, is that a failure? Yeah, I mean, it's it's taken me a lot of time to get over it and look at it as a different perspective. You know, now probably wouldn't say it's much of a failure. I still, a little bit it is, a little bit I do feel like I didn't achieve everything that I wanted to. A lot of guys... You know, I can't speak for Phil Guyman or anyone else, but a lot of the guys who make it and only last a year, it's it's pretty hard mentally to uh, keep racing. And I've come to terms with everything, and I wouldn't say that I'm I'm personally a failure. I'm very happy with everything I've done, and I'm proud of the achievements that I've had. But when you like dream of, you know, like with you in law school you know, if you didn't pass the boards the first time, you kind of feel like a failure. You know, you feel like you maybe didn't make it to where you actually wanted to be. I think when I say failure, it's not something that I look at. It's like a loss. It's you can't win everything. You know, I know I can't win everything in life. And I'm very happy with what I have. And you have to get over it. Like I I dwelled on it for a little bit. But I got over it and I realized I'm not a failure completely. I, I love the sport of cycling. I love racing my bike. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity that I've had. Like I'm going to always make the most of it. But a part of me is also still like when you when you like can touch your dreams and it's right there and it's everything that you've wanted. And then it gets pulled like the rug, rug gets pulled underneath your feet. Like you you end up blaming yourself for those happenstances, even if it might not be your fault, which a lot of the times it's not. And I think, uh, especially like our generation, we struggle with that. You know, we've, you know, millennials have been told that we can do anything we want to be, we can fly if we want. And so when things don't go the way you want, you end up blaming yourself for it. And I've learned, uh, one of, like one of the great life lessons through all this is I've learned like you just kind of have to dust yourself off and get back up and just keep pushing forward and enjoy it. Like I I enjoy everything I do. I'm happy with my life. I'm not, you know, disappointed with anything, but yeah, I would still say a little bit that I, 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 it was, it was a failure. It was a failure on my end. Remember I was born in 78, so I'm not even a millennial. I'm Gen X. (laughs) I'm here just to watch the whole thing burn. That's my entire goal. Guys are doing a pretty good job. <laughs> we're, we're doing exceptional. You jumped on something about you can't win all the time, which I think is hilarious because it's a segue for the next topic, which is Danny Estevez. And you go down to Panama to do a race in Panama. You win the first night. Somebody else wins the next two nights. And then you win the fourth night, win the overall. 
you couldn't win them all because Danny Estevez, who was at that point in time racing for Butcher Box, beat you. Mm-hmm. You bring him onto your team. So now you have effectively figured out a way to win them all. Danny got overlooked in all of this stuff that happened with Justin and and, and you. And I, I don't know if that's going to be a little bit of a spark for him or some extra motivation for him to be like, do not forget about me. But talk about it. Is Danny Estevez the completion of the Best Buddies hit squad? Yes, 100% he is. For the people who don't know Danny, like he was one of the top junior racers in the U.S., probably one of the top junior racers in the world when he first started. He was phenomenal, super strong, super talented, had a great work ethic, and life kind of hit him and got in the way. And he realized, you know, there are bigger priorities than just racing a bike. Now, fast forward to 2021, racing down in Panama. I didn't know who Danny was. And um, he was fucking good, man. He was really good. You know, I think he's, he's still young. The only reason I won the last day was because he was had a little bit of an experience on his end and he just didn't um, have like the, not that I wouldn't say he had the leadership. I think he was relying a little more on the team and we ended up making the jump again a bit early because Michael's very intelligent bike racer. He knows what to do, when to do it. And he can also win bike races, just like all of us on the team. And I think Danny just was a little late to the game with that and sat on my wheel in a crosswind. He was on the left side of me trying to, you know, hide from the crosswind and realized the only way he could come around me is slow down and then come to the right. And I had that left side closed completely, which was where the wind was coming from. And so I, you know, had the upper hand in that sprint. One of the things that really projects projected my success was having people there to help me and mentor me guys like Eric Marcotte saw the potential in Arizona and he wanted to really utilize that and help me as a cyclist become the best that I could. And that's how I got onto elbows and learned from Heath Blackrobe and Sean Sullivan and Eric and had this like breakthrough year. And I think Danny is the same way. I mean, I think he's, uh, extremely talented racer. His like hands down, he's faster than I am. I'm not going to like, no, none of us will deny that. Like, dude, he's fast. He has got a kick and he is very smart and well-mannered and knows how to race his bike. He's not afraid to race his bike. And we saw that in Panama. And then we saw it again in, um, tour of South Florida when he came down with butcher box. There was a bit where it's like, yeah, I feel maybe we, we kind of stole him from butcher box, but at the same time, it's like, we wanted to have the best team. Anthony is like, he wants to win and we all want to win. We're very, you know, Myerson told him, told you like, Eric and I, we're killers. Like we do not like to lose. I I'll lose. And anyone who's been on a team with me will admit that I've broken so many helmets after a race by fucking chucking them into the ground and being pissed off that I've lost. When we saw Danny, we were like, man, he is so talented and he has so much potential. Uh, we knew that like, we have the team with the experience of Ben Wolf, Ruben, Eric, me, Michael. We knew we could like use that to bring him to the finish line first every single race. And if not him, then me or Eric. 
or Ben or Ruben or Michael, like any one of us can win. And I think that was what we learned from Mike Creed being on SmartSoft and Mike Hernandez being on a Volo is that it's not, it's a numbers game. You want to play your best hand at all times. And so we knew we were missing that extra little flair. We were missing that extra 10%. And, you know, Danny coming on, he brought us 20%. And so I'm like super excited to have Danny on board and kind of teach him everything that I've learned and have him win everything. Like I, I, I don't have anything to prove anymore. Eric doesn't have anything to prove anymore. Neither does Ben or Ruben. Mike might, but you know, Danny definitely does. And we, we want to prove to everyone that he's the best sprinter in the U S right now. Is there a limit to best buddies ambition or is it only going to be satisfied if you are the individual USA crits champ, the team USA crits champ, the pro criterium champion winning every single race that you can get your hands on. Yeah. We want to win every single race we can get our hands on, to be honest. I mean, I think at the end of the day, when we come away and we say, Hey, we've won X amount of races, we maybe lost more than we won. I think we'll look back and we won't be completely happy with the way things went, but we'll still be satisfied. I think realistically, yeah, we want, we want to succeed. And I think that comes a lot from Anthony. Like he is very driven to become, you know, I think best buddies is one of the largest nonprofits in the world right now. And he wants to be the best. And I think he wants to have the best team. And a lot of us want that too. I mean, it's hard to do like so late in the season. And so you have to learn what you need to do, but yeah, we have pretty ambitious goals and um, we want to achieve those goals. And I think all of us have felt like that ever since we've been around, we all want to succeed in everything we do. And I think that's kind of the, beauty of the sport is it's um striving for success and that's what drives that's the addiction right there is like the success is hard to get you know it's very hard to actually win all the time and so that's something that we uh we definitely strive for for sure of course this ambition leads you directly into conflict with the other guys out there <laughs> Yeah, And we can't escape an interview with you at this point in time in life without talking about crit beef and hashtag, you know, team Travis versus team Justin versus team Connor. Connor, team Connor is, is the, the entire Peloton. So let's just be clear. <laughs> the Dellen Banks and the Mullervies, the Saleys. You know, first off, I know that you and Justin have raced against each other, you've raced together, you know each other because it's it's such a small community at the top there. Is what we saw on Instagram and elsewhere, is that rivalry? Is that enemies? Is that opposition? What is it like, you know, when Travis McCabe and Justin Williams get together? Is, you know, is this two of the best athletes going at each other in a, in a pure sport thing? What's it like? I mean, so that's, that's definitely a loaded question. There are a lot of, uh, answers to that one. So I hope you guys are ready for me to talk. Yeah. I think the crit beef is not something that I expected out of all of this. Like I've, I've, uh, you know, a lot of my friends and teammates, ex teammates, have they, they know who I am and they know, like, 
I tend to uh, kick myself in the ass a few too often or too, a few too many times. I don't uh, usually think before I speak. But with this, it's something that it kind of was dwelling for a while. Just, I will say, like, Justin's a good guy. He's a great guy. He's very uh, well-liked. He's done a fantastic job of building up a team and turning this into a team that's become a legitimate project with some big hitters. And I have a lot of great friends on that team as well. Like Alec Cowan is like a, a brother to me. Same Ty Magner is a really good friend. And a lot of those guys, you know, messaged me afterwards and, you know, weren't mad at me for what I said. I think for me personally, it was, I got tired of seeing this like fake fake persona and it goes back to like what we talked about maybe maybe we were recording maybe we weren't it's like i'm not a very narcissistic narcissistic person when you see my instagram it's like that's who i am i show you know my life and what i'm doing at the time and i don't like put all of these flashing lights around me and you, you can go back and look there aren't a lot of photos of me showcasing the national championship jersey because like priority was road national champs so like winning the crits was awesome but you know it was i was a i was a road racer and the crit secondary i'm a sprinter so i'm able to win both which has been awesome and i'm like able to have a lot of wins because of that but for me seeing um somebody kind of take the value away from the pro national championship jersey which is really what it is you know you know Myerson said like oh Travis isn't Travis is now technically an amateur so he technically can't wear that jersey it's not about who can and can't wear the jersey but it's about who like the best racers are in the U.S. and I feel like winning that crit pro crit national championship jersey solidified me as the best racer in the U.S especially for the sprints winning it in 2017 and winning it again in 2019. Same with Eric Young. When he won it, he was the best sprinter in the U S hands down. Let me ask you this. Do you think that you got overlooked? Justin Williams, cover boy of bicycling magazine, the, you know, all the features GCN videos calling Legion, you know, the team that's going to make crit racing fun again, USA cycling, putting him front and center do you feel that you, Travis McCabe, two-time pro crit champion, got overlooked in 2020 because of circumstances? No, not really. I don't feel like I was overlooked. It wasn't something that I was like promoting. Like 2020 was, again, I, I was striving to achieve other goals, uh, being in the world tour. Like I was you know, finally getting the chance to do what I've always dreamt of doing. So I never felt like I was overlooked at all. And I think Meyerson mentioned that in the last podcast. He was like, you know, Travis was off doing his own thing and didn't really care that much about the crits. And I didn't like, you know, I, when, when Justin, cause you know, national championships is right around the same time. So when Justin won his national championships, the one thing is interesting is like he won national crit amateur championships and national amateur road championships but you don't see him saying anything about him being the road national champ. You know, why is that? Because we all know Alex Howes is the road national champ because Alex has the audience and the platform to show that. 
Whereas with me, I didn't have the audience. I didn't have the platform and I didn't really care to have that platform. It's like, I'm not someone that's like, Oh, look at me. This is what I have. This is what I am. That's not my identity as being the pro crit national champion. So I never really felt like I was overlooked. You know, I think what bothered me is when a lot of people have come to me and said is like, like I call the spade a spade. Like I, you know, I, I said what it was. I called Justin out and, you know, I, I don't think he liked being called out, but that's kind of what happens when you portray yourself as somebody else as like this national champion when, you know, you might not quite be the national champion. There's other races and, you know, he had every opportunity to race pro nats and he decided not to do it. You know, for me, um, I was just kind of at that point where I was like, dude, I would have completely let it go. I was totally fine with it. I didn't care. But when you posted that video or that picture of Estevez coming off, like I am someone who will fucking kill myself for another teammate. It's sorry. That's probably a bit too literal, but I'm like, people know me. Like I I'm, I don't care. Like I will come out there and I will fight for my friends and my family and I will do what it takes to protect them. And so when I see Estevez, you know, you posted that thing, said this changes everything. And then Justin decides to say this changes nothing. I'm like, dude, you know, there's a, there's a difference between, between being confident and cocky. And right now you're being cocky. And so I'm going to take you down a notch. Like, if you're going to bring this up and mention this stuff, then it's fair game. Like Danny is a phenomenal rider. And what you said was true. It does change everything. Having Danny was a big part of our team and it kind of like sparked something underneath me. And I was just like, you know what? All right, enough's enough. I'm going to, I'm going to step up and say what I've been thinking about for a while. Not that I've felt under, like I felt overlooked because like, honestly, again, I didn't really care. But it's like, yeah, now I'm back. Myerson said that I'm back racing the crits. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be wearing this national champ jersey. And dude, you're not going to be allowed to wear it because the UCI rules say that only one person can wear that jersey. You don't see U23 racers in a pro race wearing their U23 national crit jersey. You don't see a U23 racer wearing his national road jersey when the pro national champ jersey is there or in a pro race. And these are, you know, pro one, two races. So it is what it is. If you're willing to talk, like you better get ready. When you mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns, man. Like I'm not really afraid. I remember it was three years ago at armed forces. There was a woman who showed up wearing her master's national champion Jersey in the crit. Regrettably, her name was not Corinne Rivera and Corinne was (laughs) there. So they made her change or Jersey on the start line, because it was just like, we're very proud of you for winning masters nationals, but the pro crit champ is here. Dude, I was going like, <laughs> it sounds bad, but Justin should be grateful that I mentioned this because I, that was my goal was to show up at Tulsa first race, wearing the national champ Jersey, him with, with the champ Jersey on and being like, dude, you gotta take that off and make him take it off at the line. Like that's, that right there is like very jaded. That That's kind of like pretty mean in my opinion, but like I wanted that. I wanted to be like, no dude, you're not wearing that Jersey. There's one person wearing it. So like, in my opinion, 
me speaking about this now, one has brought a lot more attention to the crit races, but also it's like, you know, dude, don't wear that jersey because you can't. We are so excited about about what is happening because it's like this is there's excitement people's hearts are racing and when we get to tulsa you know what's that going to be like first you're not coming to armed forces because you're going to be doing you're going to be doing unbound gravel so you're going to be going to tulsa a week after finishing a 200 plus mile race in kansas your commute will be a lot shorter than justin's commute will be but like are you concerned that that 200 miles of gravel is going to weigh you down a little bit when you get to Blue Dome. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know, I might be total, <laughs> I'd be total shit, but honestly, like, dude, I don't care. Like, again, I'm here to have fun and to race. And like last time I was in Tulsa, I was, I finished the race and, oh man, I wish there was a photo. Eric and I threw on Speedos and we went and partied on Crybaby Hill and then, I ended up dancing on the top of the bar after sound pony closed and nearly fell off and had a concussion. So like I'm there for the party. I'm there to have fun and to race. And I think like having that rivalry is great. I think that's something that's definitely brings excitement to it for sure. Um, am I worried? No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not worried. I think the team, we have a phenomenal team and we're here to race bikes and, whether I win or Danny wins, Michael, Eric, Ben, or Ruben, or, you know, if we get beat, like we get beat, that's just the sport. And then we learn from it. We got tons of other races ahead. I think we're really excited for the whole USA crit series. We're excited to showcase best buddies and people are like, what is best buddies, man? You guys, you guys are all good friends. Ha 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 ha. That's what it is. No, like we actually have a mission behind it. And so hopefully we spread awareness and, you know, hopefully we get some people who are willing to donate to a wonderful nonprofit. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried. Like if I, if I get smoked, then I get smoked, man. Like it's not the first time that that's happened. I will say like before all of this, I don't think Justin and I had bad blood. I think like we were, we were fine. Like we got along. I think he said a few things that I heard through the grapevine that like annoyed me and that I just, didn't agree with about myself. And so that's where I was like, you know what? Like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna chime in here and peep up and see what, see what happens. Well, you definitely chimed in and and there were some words when you get to like crit championships and in races where you're not coming off Kansas, uh, Kansas gravel. Is this, is this going to be the Travis and and Justin show this year, or is it going to be the best buddies and Legion show? Honestly, I think it'll be the best buddies in Legion show. I think this hype right now, you know, I, I want to win. I think Justin wants to win, but I think he also wants Corey Williams to win or not Corey Williams. Yeah. Corey, his brother to win. I think he wants Ty to win. I think Alec Cowan can win. And I think it's the same with us. Like, I think the hype is uh, a bit overhyped right now. I think we, uh, I think it's going to be a duel between best buddies and uh, Legion for sure. Not to, you know, undermine anyone else. I think there are a lot of other great racers, but you know, what we've, what I've seen in the past is there's so many crashes in the races. There's so much disrespect going on. Everyone's like fighting when there doesn't need to be fighting and lapping of wheels. And so I hope like with, with the team that we have with best buddies is that we can, um, 
I don't know, I'd like to say instill a bit of respect, but I think we're, we're there to race and make it aggressive and make it as hard as we possibly can. And, um, really showcase the best buddies organization that comes first and foremost, not, not anything else. Where do you think this comes from? You know, this, this overlapping wheels and it's like crashiness going on right now. Do you think that comes from their, you said disrespect. Do you think it comes from a lack of, of senior leadership or, you know, UHC is no longer around or smart stops no longer around. So you've got, a lot more parity. So there's not a, a, a genuine, like this is the team that, in the style of racing that's going to show us the way. Yeah. So I think, and this is like no respect, no, like it's going to sound bad. Sorry guys. But I think in the past few years after UHC left, you know, Myerson hit on a good point that the NRC definitely took away from crit racing. Uh, I think the, one thing he didn't mention was that the level of racing changed. It was, you see a lot more amateur teams racing the crits than you did back in the UHC days. And I think when that happens, there's a bit of inexperience that comes with it. And I personally think that the races were a bit too slow. You know, what happens is it's full gas. People throw down and it's single file and then everyone lets up. And now you have this bubble and guys are fighting for position, trying to move up. And there's a little bit of an experience that happens in that. And people make mistakes and the crashes happen and guys go down. And I mean, I've talked to teammates about this who are racing it and they're like, man, it's scary because like, you don't know where you could be, but a crash is going to happen. And you could, you know, can of putt, for example, concusses. Uh, in Littleton crit, even being at the front because of the lapping of wheels or someone brake checking the other person. I think it's just like guys don't realize that they don't. And, and you see this even in the pro tour now. Guys aren't afraid of not only risking their health, but they're not afraid of risking other people's health as well. And I think that has changed in the past. Like when I first started, you know, I'll tell you a little story. Like when I first came on to smart stop, it was 2013 and I came on to race. Um, Eric and I both came from Eldos to race, uh, tour of Alberta. And we went to Vegas to do interbike and do that crit. That was an interbike. And I remember like, it was maybe five laps to go in UHC. The blue train took the front and I was trying to get in the way of Hilton Clark. It was like nighttime. And I'm like, diving the inside of the corner and like, dude, I, it's the same. Like everyone there, we're all just like, you know what? Like, fuck this guy. We're just going to race. Who cares about him? Like, we're just going to race hard and I want to win. I want to get to the front. And I was like racing a bit irresponsibly. And I remember Hilton Clark coming over to me as I was like lapping his wheel, he swept left and then just came right across me and hit me so hard that my handlebars turned to the right, but my wheel stayed straight. So the last five laps of the race, I was racing at like a 45 degree angle with my bike still going straight because like, I just didn't show any respect or I didn't like realize like, okay, I sh- can't get into this train. Not saying that that's like what best buddies is going to do or what we're there to, you know, be the bullies. But like, I think 
the speeds haven't been high enough. I think there's all of the guys who are really trying to make it are racing on the road. And so they don't do the crits because one, they're afraid of getting in a crash and they don't see the risk to reward factor as much as you used to. And so who knows? I mean, it's always been part of crit racing is crashing, but none of us want to crash. We want to like race our bikes and race our bikes hard. So that's kind of like what we want to do. Travis, we're right at the hour mark. So I'm, I'm going to wrap it up this way and, and just say, here's to you establishing that, that uh, decorum, that leadership during the course of the 2021 season. I'm going to be really excited to get there, to see you guys uh, at Armed Forces, at Tulsa, Pro Crit Champs, at all of it. Thank you so very much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm really, I'm excited too, man. It's going to be a fun it's going to be a fun battle throughout the entire year, no matter who anyone roots for. I hope they're, they're watching Criterium Nation and following along and uh, watching the USA Crit Races. I think Crit Racing might be back. You know, I, think, I think that's what we want. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Head on over to WideAnglePodium.com to find out more about the full bevy of shows there and how you can support this content creator-owned effort. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. We've got Emma White from Rally coming up next, world champion, national champion, professional criterium champion. It's a great interview. We have a lot of fun talking about a lot of very wide, diverse topics, including Bo Jackson and uh, Deion Sanders. So yeah, that's a tease for why and how you should come back and find out more next week. Then after that, it's race season. The biggest criteriums in the country are starting armed forces, and we're going to be there to cover them with you, for you. And we're just going to have a great time recapping what happens and giving you a preview of what's about to happen next. So it's going to be kind of a free form in the coming months and coming weeks with, with real life racing happening again. Super excited. So come on back here next week. Join us here for more stories from our Criterium Nation. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, and we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.